do in the winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 55th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva, Gometra and Ered. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Ian Honey, Ian McKinnon of Tobermory. If you're listening to this episode on its day of release, a very happy Christmas to you. I hope you're safe and well. And if you're not listening to it on its day of release, well, I still hope you're safe and well. Ian talks about his family roots here on the island and connections to Tyree. We talk about characters from the past, with Ian bringing their memory to life by telling stories that they told him. There are tales of the First World War, Ireland in the 20s and more passed on from the mouths of McGoughan and others that you'll hear in this episode. We talked together one evening with Ishbel, Ian's wife, joining us for little bits of the conversation. It was so lovely to speak to both of them. I think I may have to chap their virtual door again someday soon to hear Ishbel's tales too. We caught up again a few days later to chat about Ian's role in the fire brigade, so you'll hear a bit of a leap as we talk about Gibby towards the end of the episode, which then leads us to talk about Ian's long-standing service in the fire brigade. There's a couple of bits that I've not included in this episode about the fire service, but I'll put these out as a short special in the coming weeks, once the festive season has passed. At a couple of points, you can hear bits of background noise in the recording, as we were recording this over Zoom due to the current situation, so please excuse this. Back in episode 9 of the podcast, Ian performed a pitch invasion whilst I was talking to Janet MacDonald. I think I said something like, I'm coming to get you. Well, 45 episodes later, here we are, at long last. Without further ado, it's a total honour to hand you over to Ian Honey, Ian McKinnon. Who am I? I'm Ian Honey, Ian McKinnon from Tobermory. Mm-hmm. That's my first wife. Thank <laughs> That's Ishbrill, yes, my wife. So, Ian, uh, from Tobermory originally, where, where were you born though? Where, was, where did you come from originally? I was born in Rotten Row Hospital in Glasgow and it's not there anymore. <laughs> It was so rotten that no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what were you, what, what were your folks doing in Glasgow that you were born in Glasgow? No, no, no. My my mother was uh, in Tyree, and uh, something went wrong with in her pregnancy, in the latter stages, and she was flown to Rotten Row Hospital, and uh, I was out of hospital, and she was six weeks in the hospital after I was born. And you were flown to Tyree then to be looked after. Yes, by my aunts in Tyree, yes, absolutely. Whereabouts were they in Tyree? They were in Hoke. There are two main hills in, in Tyree. There's Hynish with the golf ball on top of it, and there's uh, Hoke Hill with the one mast on it. So it's near Balabulan, between Balabulan and Sandig. Mm-hmm. Fantastic! A lovely, yeah. lovely part of the world. Yeah. And so, how long then were you in Tyree with your mother? Well, until my father came back from the army. He, my father was taken. Well, he was. They, they married in nineteen forty-one and um, married in Tyree in nineteen forty-one, 
And then my father went to the army and he was taken prisoner at Tobruk. Goodness me. And they didn't know for two years whether he was alive or dead. So that was an awful stress in the family. So he was taken across the Med and uh, marched through Italy, Czechoslovakia, and he ended up in a prisoner of war in Germany. And he worked in a mine or something like that. Yeah. Did he ever talk about it at all? Because that's the older generation. He didn't talk very much uh, about it, but he's told us a few stories which were quite frightening. And we found a notebook that he'd written lots in. Yeah. Which we're typing up. We're, trans we're transcribing slowly. for the chip for our daughters so that they know. Yeah, yeah. Well, not to get too dark too quickly, but are there any tales from, that, from those times that you could share with us? Because that's um, a whole section of of life that's disappearing. You know, there are so few people now that are left that were part of those camps. Right. Well, he was in Leipzig, I think it was, on a, in, a, in cattle, in a cattle truck. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a railway cattle truck. And uh, there was, the Americans were bombing the city and all the sentries and, uh, and the soldiers went away and hid in, in uh, air raid shelters and they left the prisoners there. A, a bomb had hit just outside and a bomb and a sliver of wood just gifted his throat and he was he was lucky. And there was another situation, he was in the prison camp and again the Americans were bombing right, left and centre and he went away. Uh, he got out of his bunk and he went to get a frying pan to, to cook something and uh, when he came back, uh, the bunk beds had gone. He had been very lucky. And he always thought that it was his mother from, from Lewis. That was her prayers that, uh, that, he, that that's helped him to survive. But the, the McKinnons came from Leifin. That's, do you know where Leifin is? It's down uh, on the east side of... Sorn, which was, which is Glengorham now, and they, yes. they had the, the archaeology. They had a dig there a couple of years ago. I don't think they found any bones of my relations, <laughs> <laughs> but they know that. But that, that's where they they, they came from, and um, the first detail I've got of my great great grandfather. He was married in Tobermory in uh, Strongarov. Oh, yes. He was married in Strongarov House. Gosh. So that's a long, long time ago. And then there my my great-great-grandfather, Dunacha Inyoik. He was a carter. And he did a lot of work with the distillery and cutting peats and whatnot and delivering coal. And then his, my grandfather, his son, was Chuni Ruach, and he was a carter. And then my father was Donohahoni uh, or Duncan Ruach. He had red hair as well. And uh, my, my father had, um, he, I've got photographs of him with his horse and cart. Uh, in fact, there was one put on the mall thing down at the Royal Buildings in front of, in front of the Missionary Hotel. 
discharging coal yeah. from a puffer. Mm -hmm. And um, then he, he bought a lorry just before going to the war. He uh, garaged it up where the chap O'Donnell had this the, the garden centre in, in the old building there. And when he came back from the war, he just had to change the battery and it started right away. <laughs> that was brilliant, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My grandfather was, he, di uh, he died when I was four years old. So I right. vaguely remember him, but that, that was all. And, and my granny, she came from Lourdesbust. His wife came from Lourdesbust on the island of Lewis in the Loch area of Lewis. And she came to Badarach. That's uh, the Callum McLaughlin's house in, uh, near the golf course. And she came to work for uh, John McLaughlin. He was a solicitor. And um, they, they married in, in Oban. And they had three girls and, and my father. Now, going to my maternal side, my great-granny, was born, she was a Macmillan, surname Macmillan, Margaret Macmillan, and she was born in Torosa. And not many people know where Torosa is. No, can you explain to us where it was? Yes, it's between Achnadrish and Loch Frieza. And it's in, within the forest there. And uh, Roy Douglas, you know, you've heard of Meg Douglas. Yes, he, yes. He Arrowsbridge. Roy gave me a photograph of the houses. It's just a, it was just a hamlet. Yeah. When he he took photographs uh, before they planted the the, the trees. So th she was there. She was born in, in Torosa. Uh, her father uh, was a shepherd, and he went to the missionary law house at the missionary flocks. Ah. She was brought up there, and she walked back and forward to school at Beaumont uh, in Tobermory. And then once she left school, she went to work at Knock House. And uh, Ben Moore Lodge is uh, beside Loch Bar. And there was uh, the owner of ben Moore, ben Moore Lodge was disabled. And he had two men to lift him about, to lift him into the boat at Loch Nakeel and take him out fishing and whatnot. And one of them, he ended up with my great-grandfather. He was from Tyree, Archie MacDonald. He was from Balafoyland, Tyree. And uh, they got married uh, in Salon. And then they had uh, their uh, meal and dance at Drimnacrosh in Glenbellock, in the barn, in the barn there. And you talked, you talked to me about Neil McGilvery, uh, the bongan, as they called him. His mother remembers as a little girl being at that wedding. Gosh. So they, they, they got married and uh, then they went to Langemal. And he was farming for the Macleans that were in Langemal. And they were called the Fancy Joiners. And they were related to us because my great granny had relations in Terloisk and whatnot, Maclean's. Anyway, uh, so they were there, and my granny was born in Langemo. 
and then eventually they moved down to Arfinic beyond Benesen, and they stayed in a little cottage. It's now a ruin. It's called the Stratjur, and uh, it's just beyond the petrol station, Robert McCallum's petrol station. There's a, 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 a road that leads to... Uh, Is that over to Pati, that one? No, it's to the, sh- the shore side. Oh, right. Go to the Iona side. Because ah. Stratur, that's a lovely name. Could you explain for the, the listener what, what Stratur would well, mean? Well, it was, it was two houses. It was Stratur, was a new, the new street. It was just semi-detached house. That's uh, uh, on the start of the road to Camus. So from there, they went to Terry. They, they worked for the McNevins at Arthenic. And my granny went to the school at Craig. And there was lots of pupils where there were children of lighthouse keepers. Wow. And they, they stayed on Erid. Yeah. And she remembers... On a Saturday, she used to walk from the Stratur across across to to Kentra and come back with a load of flounders. Uh, Yeah, because there were fishermen there at at Kentra. So then they went, at the end of the First World War, they went, he got a tenancy of a farm in Tyree. So that's the Hoke farm from the Duke of Argyle. He owned Tyree. So that's where my mother was born. And and, and my maternal grandfather, he was from Tyree. And uh, his father was a shoemaker at Kilmaluag. And uh, my grandfather was Hugh McLean. And he ultimately, well, he died at 38, but he was a chief, chief steward on the Hebrides, that's the previous, prior to David McBrain, it was the McCallum Orms boat. And they used used to leave Glasgow and call it various ports on their way and ended up at St Kilda. And my mother went two two or three times. I have a book here. You're not going to believe this. You're not, literally not going to believe this. Really? This, this is a book of photos of the um, the SS Hebrides going to St Kilda. Really? A genuine well, list. So I, that, I've got a photograph of, of or a, a video of, of well, maybe a video, and there's a, a, a photo of my grandfather in it, sitting he, with the rest of the crew. Is that? Is he any of those guys? He could easily be, yes. That's so strange. Um, because <laughs> there's this photo of it. Look at the St Kildans looking happy. Yes, that's right. Because they they, they were awful shy, you know. That's so um, strange. Gosh. So my mother, my mother went out two or three times to St Kilda, but she never ever saw St Kilda. She was in her bunk, seasick. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. So, how did they meet then? How did your folks? Where was it that they met? In Tyree, on Mull, or...? They met in Tyree, yes. Because my great-grandfather, he had the, the, the Hoke farm, Tennessee, and Kilmanwag's not far away from, about two or three miles from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they used to say that they would... They used to dance in the church halls, 
and they used to say, "I'll see you at the, at the full the next full moon." <sighs> so that so there was a a glow. You know, they, they weren't going to get stuck anywhere in the darkness. Oh, that's lovely. So it was a full moon that they they had the dancers, and it was Portipio. That was really? they were dancing to music. Yeah, the the mouth music. That's oh, right. Gosh, that's incredible. And that was even in my mother's day in the in the thirties and whatnot. And then she came to Tobermory again. She copied my my, my paternal grandmother from Lewis. She would she came to Badarach again to act as a nanny for a Carl McLaughlin's father, Ewan mm -hmm. McLaughlin, mm -hmm. who's out in the South US. Yes. And then she she met my dad and he got married in Port One or whatever. So dig further about the Portabuel for um, the dances. Was it just whether you was it just um, the songs of Portabuel, or were they using Cantharach as well? Cantharach, yes, that, that's right. Yeah, and they would go, and they would go out onto the road as well. There'd be so many people, youngsters, and they would go out onto the road and dance as well. Yeah. Could you explain um, for the listener then what what is Cantharach and how does it um, where, where, what's its history? It, 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 there's, there's not it's just sounds. It's just music coming up from your voice. There's not necessarily any words, mm -hmm. and, and it, it was, it's it's just imitating pipes or whatever it is. It was a, I think was it a form of pipe notation before written? Yes, because. There's a lady up in South Hughes who's brilliant. I can't remember her name, but she's brilliant at it. Ah. Yeah. And it yeah. really does, when you hear good cantarach, it's, it's, it really does lift. It's got a real mm -hmm. swing to it. Right. So they were at that uh, together with with uh, Porsche Bale. Wow. Porsche Bale. Yeah, yeah. So after they married in 41, and they... Uh, 41, when she came here in 1937... And she thought she 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 couldn't last here. Every 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 place was closed in with trees, and uh, she used to think, "Oh, I can't stand this." And there she uh, she's lived in on in Tobermory from thirty seven to oh, till she died in eighty four. <laughs> Spending time with you. Know, it's a lovely time. Well, you know the big expanse of sky. It's the lights. It's beautiful, and and uh, the lights. That's right. And they also, in the summertime, the machers with the flowers. They're beautiful. It's an amazing island. Yeah. I love it. And the people, I yeah. just love spending time. There's so many, uh, there's so many folk to talk to in Tyree that have got so many interesting tales yeah. as well. Right. Well, I went on my holidays at Easter and the, right through the summer holidays. And I just, it was garlic from the minute I arrived until I left. Yeah. Well, let's let's go into that a little bit then, um, about the Gaelic nature. So when you were brought up, I presume, with Gaelic as well? I was brought up with Gaelic. I hadn't got very much Gaelic when I went oh, to school. Got more than you say you have. 
<laughs> but um, when when <laughs> when, uh, when you were a child, so you were you hearing the different dialects, or was it were you just hearing it as one language? Or were you hearing the different? Oh yes, no, I had my my, my, my granny from Lewis. She had uh, I mustn't say this, but yeah, she was like a seagull. Yeah, <laughs> but she was very very a nice a nice lady, Chris. Christina McLean was her maiden name, and she was from Lourpost, yeah. yeah. So you would have heard, uh, so the, the, did she use words like born instead of uh, Ushk? Oh, uh, yeah, Ushk, yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. So, and it, uh, so what were you, what, what were the sort of, and for the listener, I'll, uh, I'll maybe do an explanation, uh, a Gaelic explanation, uh, aside from this, and like sort of, I'll drop one in so they can understand more, but we'll carry on. Talking. But um, what were the linguistic features of like Tyree Gaelic as compared to Mull Gaelic what, what, that you noticed? Oh, those big, big changes, yes. What was that here? Moyach. Moyach. Moyach and Gear. It was in Gear, G E A R R. Mm-hmm. That's what it what was in, in locally in in Mo. And then there's Bo and Marsh. Oh, that's further north. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Uist and 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 Lewis. Mm-hmm. A cow is a bo. Mm-hmm. Bo and it's Marsht. M A R T. And there's there's S sounding Marsht. And how did um, how did Gaelic culture express itself when you were younger? What was because it, it was the native culture? How was it expressed within Mull? Well, on, on the main street in Tobermory, in my when I was growing up in the early fifties and sixties, there was there was Gaelic that was being spoken most of the time by the locals, and there would be it's nowadays it's high and by, and there, there's no conversation at all. But in these days, there would be groups of people chatting away to one another. Yeah. And it was very, very nice. Uh, but that, you, don't see, you don't see that nowadays. Not, not to a great extent, anyway. So you born you born in the 50s? I was in the 40s. You born 46. In, right, okay. Gosh. 46, yeah. So mm-hmm. growing up in Tobermory, what what are your first memories of Tob then? What was that like? Where, where was the house? Where were you? We stayed at Padarach, in the, in the back quarters of Padarach, uh, right through my my life until I was, till 1962, 63, and then we bought, my parents bought the Penalbanach, the house next door to uh, Angus Stewart's studio. But it was it was wonderful being brought up in Tobermory. We, we enjoyed ourselves, boys. We had gang fights, and uh, <laughs> who were in the opposite we gang? Gun- who, who was in your gang? Who was in the opposite gang? Oh well, it was Craigie Stewart and Rockfield. That was the two the two gang. And uh, we used to have dustbin lids as shields, and we made up our swords and lances. And, you know, and then, as we grew older, the way we went, used to go out ferreting and ferreting on the, on the, on the above the lighthouse path, up in these trees and whatnot. Yeah, um, so it was, it was wonderful, and uh, we played football in the evenings till dark. And we played a lot of badminton in these days. Yeah. 
Where did you play badminton? Because it's not noted for being an outdoor sport in the Hebrides. Where whereabouts were you? No, no, no. We're in the, in the hall, in the hall, Addis Hall, and the drill hall, and there was competitions all, all through through the winter. We used to play against Benesson home and away, and uh, they used to fill us up with food when we arrived there, so that we were able to move around very fast. <laughs> uh, and then Craig Newer and Salon, but there was no, no, nobody played at Erving at all. But we used to have competitions, and um, we would start at 2 o'clock in the, mo- in the afternoon, and then the people that were knocked out in the first round were put up to the drill hall, and then they played uh, another competition. And then we would have the finals back down in the Aris Hall, and that could be at 4 o'clock in the morning. Really? I'm not exaggerating. There'll be many people that will remember that. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So who were the good players when you were younger then? Who were the ones you thought, oh gosh, I've got them as a double or oh God, it's them against me? Oh, well, we, I used to play uh, Ander Campbell. He was a very good player and his partner, playing partner, Elizabeth McLean. And uh, there was other guys that were a little bit older than us, Robin McKinnon from uh, Benesson. He's dead and gone. Mm-hmm. And there was a... Jack McDougall, he was Carl McDougall. He was a nice, nice man and a very good. Well, he was older when I when I was playing, but you could see he had a great, great skill. Yeah, and um, then we came to Salon, and there was um, Ian Cronin, who died just not so long ago. He was very, very good, and uh, Duck McLellan. He was a young chap, and he was very good. And the Knock Boys, eh, Donald and Lachlan, who unfortunately died a few years ago, they were very good. And Anne McGregor, she was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had good players in Tobermory as well. Yes, Ian McKinnon was very good too. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but we have great games. I had, well, I had good and uh, a girl, Joan Tommy, as a partner, and I had a girl called Kirsty Tom, and they they kept me going. They were very good players. So fantastic. Well, just me, no. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, it was good. Duncan McIver, Bunty McIver's uh, late husband. He was good, uh, and a chap called. Uh, what was his name, Barlow? Charlie Barlow. Charlie Barlow, yeah. And uh, Roberts, Terry Robertson and his wife were good. There's all these, all so many people and so many characters. Are there any characters from when you were younger that stick out? We've heard uh, of quite a few folk, like McGoughan and people like that. Um, but are there any tales? Oh, yeah. well, uh, yes. When I started work, I started in on the 24th of September, 19... 19- 62. And any Rangers reporter listening to this should know that that is Ali McCoy's birthday. Ah. He was born on the day that I I started work. So I started at work as a clerk in the the, the pier office Mm -hmm. and we had the boat leaving Tobamore at quarter to eight in the morning. We'd go over to Drimnan 
and then to Salampia, and then to Loch Allen, and then to Craig Muir. This was before the pier was at Craig Muir, and uh, a ferry boat would come out and then get, get into open about 11 o'clock or so, right. and then came back at one left at one o'clock, and then came into Tobermory at the quarter to around about 20 past four or so. And most, a lot of people used to congregate at the pier at the, when the boat came in. They would be up in the balcony where the restaurant is at the top there, and they would all be watching who was coming ashore and whatnot. So it was, and we also had uh, cargo boats coming from Glasgow. We had the Lochton Vegan, which left Glasgow on a Tuesday, and it was in right. in Tobermory on a Wednesday. Seventeen and a half hours she took from Kingston Dock and latterly Queen's Dock in Glasgow, and she used to bring over a hundred ton of of fertilizer, feeding, and whatnot. And uh, so those. You were talking about First World War veterans and whatnot. Yeah. The guys that worked in the pier when I McGoughan was there, Alistair McFarlane, that's his name, and he was a real character, and we got on very well with him. And uh, there was another chap, Johnny Noble, and he was uh, at sea during the, uh, in the Royal Navy uh, during the First World War, and there was a chap called Gibby. Can't remember his first name, but he, he was nicknamed Gibson, mm-hmm. and he, he used to come in. You know James Henderson. Mm-hmm. Well, his his brother, his father, was in the peer office with me and Richard Henderson's father, Ricky Henderson. He was the boss man, oh, right. and we used to check all the cargo and different things like that. Well, Gibson used to come into the office and see, can you boys pick out this? He had bits of shrapnel perhaps coming out in his legs or in his head. Wow. And we blue boys, and they were, they were working out to the surface, and we would be getting a pin and taking them out for him. Yeah, quite a remarkable man. <laughs> and they were so full of life, yeah. and they must have had a horrific time. Okay. McGoughan was all over the the, the places in, in, in France, and then he was in Ireland until um, 1922, 23. So he had a pre- pretty tough, but he was a he was a real character. Yeah. And what was it about these people that 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 made them stand out? Was it their tales? Was it their behaviour? Was it oh, their tales? Yes, they, they told us funny stories about the war. They never really talked about the, the bad. No, no, no. Do you remember any of the funny stories of the war at all? From, from I could tell you one, but I, I can't. I, I, I mustn't do it. It's kind of rude. Oh, go on. Well, when when McGoughan was uh, in, in Ireland, they had been out for a drink. Uh, he liked his drink. And he was looking back, and there was a, a chap, uh, another soldier there, and he was... He was crying. He was peeing against the wall. And he was crying. And he, he said, yeah, I can't stop peeing, he said. And there was a tap just along from him. I was leaking. So <laughs> that was what 
that, that, that was one of the, my girlfriend's stories, yeah. Uh, and he, he, he thought he couldn't stop peeing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Hooky, McLaughlin, Hooky McLaughlin was his name. Was it was the chap's name, yeah. Uh, and we had a, a, a Peter, Peter Ewan Bohr. He was an ex-policeman from London. He was a, he was a, he was a, a top of morning man. And uh, he was a big, strong man, yes. Uh, he was a policeman in London, yeah. Mm-hmm. What were the roles that you would take part in then? As the, she said, you would inspect the, the cargo, but what were the highlights? What were the things you looked forward to? And what were the things you thought, oh, God, it's that job again. I don't want to do that. Well, we looked forward to the summertime because people used to come for a fortnight to the Western Isles and whatnot, and they would put their their suitcases on, on the cargo boats and they would uh, arrive. And uh, so we, we, we look forward to that. Uh, and as time went past in uh, at my brains, we then started buses. We took over from Alexander Cow mm-hmm. buses. And uh, so we are drivers from Mull and drivers from Glasgow and whatever, and then we had lorries, so it was my brain haulage as well. So my father, he was driving. He went over to Auburn five, six days a week with a van, a big van, and then there was Alistair Noble. You, you, you remember Alistair Fui's father, Paul Fui and Alan's father, Alistair. He died a few years ago. Relatively young, and uh, we had diff- different other drivers. We had John McLean. You, do, you know Molly McLean down in Craigmuir. John the Bear. That's what we called him. He was a, a Lewis man, and he was as strong as a horse, and uh, had a fantastic nature. He was always laughing and good for him. Never saw him angry at all. And John, John just died. You know, time goes by so quickly now, about four or five years ago, and he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. So what jobs did you not like on the pier? Well, I didn't like when the boat came in uh, at night. We were, we were working till all hours, and when the lorries came in at night too, and we, we didn't get, we got an agency bonus, and that was our overtime, £30 a year. <laughs> uh, that was it, and we we work, would work till oh till all hours, and then the cargo boats. I, I was talking about the Lockton Vegan. She she came in, and then she went to Armadale, uh, Kyle, and then out to Stornoway, Gosh. and then went the Loch Carn, and the Loch Carn came on a f- left Glasgow on a Friday, went to Salon. Then came to Tobermory, then Col, Kyrie, Barra, South Uist, and North Uist. And then she came back in on Tuesday mornings or Tuesday nights, no, Monday nights, sorry. And she'd be taking empty petal barrels or wool bags and things like that. So that, we, were, we were working for now, for now. Uh, at, at that, well, for that thirty pound a year. Yeah, that's 
My first my first paid was four pound one and six. That's nineteen sixty-two. Gosh. And a probationary period for six months and then I got four pound thirty or something. <laughs> Um, it, 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 listeners have expressed an interest in is our, our tales of Dykes and Agnes. Do you have any stories that you could share with us? And I should be looking to you laughing there in the corner. Like Doug, Dykes and Agnes, yes. Dykes was a, always walked about 30 or 40 yards in front of Agnes. Yeah. And um, he used to go out, McAllister's used to go out, they, they were tinsmiths and very good tinsmiths as well. They made cans and pails and whatnot. And they went out to Col and Tyree and skiffs. And they would, when they would reach Tyree, the children had to go to school. So they would be in school in, in, in Tyree. But uh, Dykes was, was something else. He, he really was. He was um, caught one time. The police put handcuffs on him. And he snapped them. He snapped the chain and pulled them off. Uh, he was so, so strong. He was a, he, he was a great fighter. He used, he used to tell us that he used to earn money when there would be fairs in the cities and whatnot, and there would be boxing. You know, the people would be in the ring and challenging the, 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 the crowd, to, and he would go up and beat them. And he was making money out of that. Goodness me. Yeah. And Agnes was a Kirkpatrick from from Oban. Yeah, she was a nice lady too. But, um, you know, the McAllisters were great seamen. Yeah. Yeah, very good indeed. Mm -hmm. It's lovely to hear Dykes and Agnes mentioned there again. Yeah, it's... uh... Well, let's. So, your your working life, you are in uh, Calmac to start off with, and then you take uh... David McBrain. Oh, sorry. Limited. Yes, sorry. And uh... then it became Calmac, and then I left there in nineteen seventy-five, and I went up to the council office. No, I was going to ask about this because nineteen seventy-five is the year where things changed in the councils. So... Absolutely, that's that, that was reorganisation of. Of the uh, local authorities, and that was when Strathclyde, the regional council, kicked in, and we still had Argyll and district council then. So I went up with a man, James McNabb, and uh, Sandra Brown, Sandra Catnach, as she was. Sandra Brown, she's still in Tobermory, Alistair Brown's widow, and uh, Fiona McKinnon. Uh, she's now Fiona Kirsup. She's John Kirsup and Craig Muir's wife. And uh, Moira McQueen. 
Well, she was another McKinnon. <laughs> when her maiden name was McKinnon, and uh, Moira's Moira McQueen, George McQueen's wife. So we had we had a good team there. Mm. We had a lot of, of an awful lot of responsibilities. So what were those responsibilities? What did you do? What was how did you? Oh well, there was different things like the. I ended up as registrar, weddings here, there, and everywhere out in Iona Sound, and lots at Calgary Sands and Calgary House, and the Western Isles, and where else they go? No, as I said, first they were in the office, but oh, then, yeah, of course, they were allowed to get married outside, yeah, uh-huh. other places. So uh, there's people still contact uh, to contact me, and after 20, 30 years, you know, who, who are married. Mm-hmm. But then all your responsibilities about like going around collecting rents. And all That's that one of the things I was nervous of, yeah. going around collecting rents from people, going around that. Every fortnight, Moira and I did Craigmuir and Salon, and we alternate. We eight fortnights we would, one would do the Craigmuir and then the other one would do the Salon, and then we changed round and it ended up as the most enjoyable part of the job. It was lovely meeting up with old folks who possibly didn't see very many people coming to their house, you know. And uh, no, all giving us tea and and scones and different things like that. They were they were very nice indeed. And widows and and widowers and and they they looked forward to us coming. Yeah, so we went to Burnside at Craigmuir and then Kirk, Kirk Cottages, you know, up Kirk, and then Java. And then we went to, well, Salon, it was Pentala um, Crescent and Morven View and um, Jarvisfield. So Jarvisfield was just in the latter stages. But yeah, that was, uh, that was the highlight of, of uh, our life, my, my life. And Moira enjoyed it as well. They were nice tenants, nice people. And are there any that stand out particularly for you at all as that you think, oh, that was anyone you'd really like, oh, great, their baking's the best, or their drops going, oh, yeah, yeah, dance. Oh, yes, the Fiona McKinnon of Kershop, her mother, Helen, uh, she was a great character, and she was a, a, a very good cook. Uh, uh, Baking, you know, great be- and her has- husband was Isaac McKinnon, and he was a nice wee man as well. But she was quite a forthright lady. Uh, yeah, but I enjoyed her, her, her company and her chat and our chats. And there was the um, uh, Mrs. Catnach and down at Craigmuir as well, and uh, she was a lovely lady, Morag Catnach. She was a sister of Donald McNeilage, who used to be in that time. When she died, she, she asked, he had asked Donald to give me uh, catalogues of the Salon show, going right back to the, 20, the 1920s. Well, that nice of her. Yeah, I've still got them. I'm glad. That's I need fantastic. To put, need to put them into the museum. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, That's well, a proper record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 
we, we, we enjoyed that. And then, um, well, we had lots of responsibilities. We have been involved with the grass cutting and of the cemeteries and everything. People used to say to us, we look after the dead much better than we look after the living. <laughs> and uh, then we had the refuse vehicles. We weren't involved with roads or, or water or anything like that. But otherwise, financial things, yeah, we're... We were clerks to the school, school council and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the building that you worked in in Tobermory, could you tell us a little bit about the history of that building as well? Because it's so interesting. Well, that was court, courthouse. And uh, there was licensing courts uh, before my time, but in Mr McNabb's, James McNabb's day, uh, the, the licensing for Kilhorn, uh, anything on Mull, and Colin Tiny. And uh, they also had the court cases. And there was a, a man, a, a little man, uh, he, he was called um, Lord Nuffield, nickname, John, John McCall. He was Lord Nuffield. And uh, he was Bobby McLeod. You've probably heard of Bobby McLeod, the provost. He was a magistrate. And uh, he used to find Lord Nuffield. He, he, he said, would the accused please stand? And Nuffield said, I'm standing, my Lord. <laughs> he was on his feet. But Bobby used to find him £10 and he would just slip the £10 to Nuffield and, he, and, and that was it. You know, he paid, he paid his fine. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your own sort of personal life then as well. Um, how how did you meet the lady that's sitting beside you? How did I meet her? Well, I wrote a letter <laughs> to the paper. No. <laughs> Wanted one wife. <laughs> yeah, you tell. I'll... Well, just like his father and his grandfather, um, his wife came to the island. They, none of them went looking for a wife. They just came to the island. So I came to teach in the school in 1980. And Kirsty Tom, whom Ian referred to earlier, um, lived in the lower flat in the county buildings um, in the area office. And she used to take me in after school to have a chat to Ian and James McNabb etc. And then she also took me to badminton club with her and she did a little bit of matchmaking as well <laughs> and that's how we met and um, unfortunately they were, he was very disappointed in my badminton playing I have to say. But you did have a, a sticker on your mini. I had a sticker on my car that said John Wright Sports Centre East Bride, and they were all thinking oh it's great, she'll be a great player what a disappointment they got <laughs> I had bought it once when I was playing squash there. Well, there's somebody come to see me here. I had bought it once when I was playing squash and stuck on my car. Uh, but that it didn't really mean anything. <laughs> when I was being brought, brought up in Tobermory, we had lots of... Uh, Fishing boats coming in, trawlers, 
from Fleetwood. Oh, yes. And they were heading for the, the Minch, and also the larger ones were going up to Iceland and whatnot. Oh. So uh, rumour had it that, uh, that some of the, the crew members were getting carried uh, aboard in Fleetwood. So they'll be waking up, coming up the Sound of Mull, and they'll be wanting a drink. And the captain would say, the skipper would say, no. So they used to throw all the, the, the dishes over the side or all the cutlery over the side. So they had to come in to tell the morning. <laughs> yeah, but we used to get lovely fish. When they came back from fishing, they came to came into Tobamori and two or three guys would go out in the rowing boats and bring the skipper in and the mate and whatever. And there'd be baskets of fish and they were beautiful. And that chap I mentioned, Johnny Noble, he, him and um, he, Henry McMillan and um, Jackie Teague, they used to sell the, the fish at the old pier right. beside the, the clock. Mm-hmm. But they were lovely fish. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that was nice. So that was a that was a treat. Were the, what were the other treats as well when you were kind of younger? What was a real highlight of like? Oh, it's a nice thing. Oh well, venison. Ah. Mm. Where did the venison come from? <laughs> ah well, there wasn't very many deer in Tobermory in these days. There was lots of them. We have them in our garden and whatnot. No, uh, my father had a gun, a rifle, and he had his lorry, and he, he used to get one for the pot. And um, we had no deep freezes then, so he would, he'd be, he would skin them and gut them and whatever, and then he'd be giving them out to ladies on their own or whatever, and put bits of venison here, there, and everywhere. So he did that. And lots of other people did the same thing. So. I, I used to do the rabbits and whatnot, but but not not deer. No, my father did. My father did all that. You know, Cameron McLean, Norrie's brother-in-law. Well, him him and I used to go out ferreting, and we um, didn't used to think we were just ferreting, 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 catching all the rabbits, and then we had to carry them to the road. <laughs> we forgot that we were getting so excited about yeah. uh, all the rabbits, and then we, we uh, had to carry them to the roadside, yeah. And then we sent them to Oban, to I can't remember the name of the, the shop in Oban. We're, we're doing all right, mm-hmm. yeah. The Salon Show, yes, this is something that um, Ishbel mentioned there. What, uh-huh. what was your role within the Salon Show? Well, I've showed uh, cattle. I've got a croft, you see. I, I inherited my father, my grandfather's croft, my great-grandfather's croft as well. And um, so I've got, well, I've cut back on sheep and cattle, but uh, I've, I've won quite a few trophies with both. Uh, I enjoy it very much. It's, it's a good a good sport, and everybody's... Good, there's good sportsmanship yeah. among all the people. Yeah. And so, whereabouts is your croft in town? Is it up behind towards the golf course? That, no, it's up Victoria Street. You know where the, the wide street, there's a lane 
he goes up Crazy Spewer, it's called, and that's where it is. There's 70 odd acres that I have up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've only got two cattle beasts now. I'm cutting back on them, and um, I've only got about 40 sheep. So I enjoy it. I've, uh, I've, I've had sheep since I was four year old. Uh, a man, a, a chap, he's called Neil Curry. He was an Isla man and he was a manager at Airy Farm when I was a little boy and he knew that he had a cow at Badara. So he had a pet lamb and he brought it to us from the golf course. And she used to go to school with me uh, and yet, yet she's told me. And she went, uh, the next house to Badara is Oakfield. And they used to have um, bed and breakfast and whatnot. And she went into the into the dining room one time and caused havoc. So I was thrown out and the sheep was thrown out. And it was good fun, good fun, yeah. That's great. And but it was, it was lovely to be brought, brought up in Tobermory. It was a lovely environment. Mm -hmm. Things that are changing. I, I don't know a lot of people on the, on the island now. I used to know everybody when I was a registrar and um, I had to deal with difficult situations, but um, I just don't know. Very many. In your part of the world too. Derby. You know. Anyway, it's not criticism. No, 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 not at all. It's just the nature of an evolving community. The way things have changed, Aye. yeah. No, no, that's, that's a, a statement of reality, definitely. Well, let's yeah. talk briefly then a little bit more about family then. Um, so you have children. Who are your children and what do they do? Oh, yeah, well, I've got um, my older child, two, two daughters, and uh, Rhoda is the older one, and uh, she did very well. The university. What did you get as well? Uh, master's in electrical and mechanical engineering. She got a master's in with distinction. With distinction. And then she yeah. she took an unwell in her last year in, in university, and she's got ME. And she's had a she, she, she had a job. And she thoroughly enjoyed the job when she was going to Germany and different places. You know. But um, it just overtook her. But she's, she's managing it, managing it. And Kirsty, the younger one, is getting married on the 29th of December. And uh, to uh, a boy from Vanessen, Ross Wilson. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Fantastic. We, they, were, they were to be married on the 6th of Fourth of July, at uh, in the church, and then they had it. We had booked the Adna Cross big shed, and it was going to be wonderful. And it just didn't happen with all the diseases that are about. So we're going to the glass barn at Skipua, and we're going, there's only twenty of twenty of us allowed. So there. So and, and Kirsty's a garlic teacher in Gallic yeah, medium, medium teacher in Bishop Riggs so in Glasgow so she, she thoroughly enjoys it no. you must have sounded a bit of croft 
What was it about the choir that you liked so much? The crack was full of life. Dr. Clegg, uh, he, sang, he was a, a good singer too in the bass section. Um, and, and Duncan was really, really good. Uh, we, 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 had, we had good crack. Tell you a story about Dykes and Agnes. Uh, Dykes's brother came over from Auburn and he met Agnes down the street. And uh, so he took her into the missionary, or the McDonald Arms, and they got quite drunk. And Dykes went home. So they had, they got a taxi, Ian Morrison's taxi probably a key that was driving it and she drove up to Rockfield Road where they stayed and uh, there was an upheaval when they were trying to get her out of the, the taxi and um, Dates came out sober and he was in an awful state and oh what's happened to Agnes as he called her Agnes and uh, his brother Johnny said Aha, she was thirsty. <laughs> so there she was over this, well over this, that she was drunk as a, as a oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, she was thirsty. <laughs> this bit here is when Ian and I chatted a few days after the original recording and we come straight in with a story about... I, I have established the name of the man, Gibby, who we, we were taking the, the bits of shrapnel out of. His name was Hugh McLean. And he had, uh, he had brothers, uh, John, John McLean, and there was another one, um, Harry, Harry McLean, and this... His grandson is still, he's called Harry McLean as well, and he works for TSL, I think. And then there was a, um, a brother in Benesson, Donald McLean, and uh, I mentioned her, his daughter earlier on, Elizabeth McLean, who was very good at badminton. Um, so, so that was Hugh McLean, and he was gassed, and he, he had a, Difficult situation in the in the second war in the first world war, and uh, there was another man, uh, John McIntyre, and he was uh, his, uh, 
mounted mounted battery in the First World War, and he used to go leading um, mules up to the front line with ammunition. And he told me what he told me one day that he he came back and he was the only one that survived of all the all the leaders of the mules. So that was a difficult situation he was in. Probably every other day they'd be going up to the front line with ammunition. Mm -hmm. They were they were elderly when I remembered them, but they were full of fun. Yes, but they must have had horrific histories. Mm -hmm. You also were part of the fire brigade, I believe. Is that right? Ah, yes, that's right. That was over 20 years ago. To 20 years in the fire brigade. I joined it in 67, just after my father retired from it. And um, I was in till 91. So I, uh, yes, yeah, so it, was, it was good. It was great camaraderie. You know, you know we had, um, when we started at first, when I started at first, the fire station was down at Lechuk down near the, next door to the garage uh, where the distillery shop is now. So that's where the, the and, and prior to that, it was over where the RNLI shop is. So that's where my father, that, that's where they had, and they had, I think six men, six firemen. And when I joined, there was eight. There was a, a sub-officer, he was the leader, and there was a, a leading fireman as well. So when I started, the sub-officer was a man called Frank Barnaby. Uh, Frank was a son of a police, a police constable that was here many, many years ago. And his father got, uh, he was a sergeant in Lockhill, Frank decided to stay here. And he was a joiner to trade. And uh, he worked with Ian MacDonald, a haulage contractor latterly. Uh, that's Frank, John, John MacDonald's father. And Duncan McGilp was a leading fireman. Oh, fantastic. And he was great at giving us instructions on knots, tying knots and whatnot. He was very, very good at that. So we had busy times. And in these days, uh, it was a siren that went off yeah. throughout the town. And a bell in, like my father's in our house, there was a bell in the house. And my mother would hear the bell. And she used to phone the exchange. Mm -hmm. And, there was, and uh, she would ask, where's the fire? And uh, the lady, uh, Chris Cameron, she would say, oh, it's such, such and such a place, it's Salon or Derrick or whatever. So she could relax and she knew. Whereas in the, when, I was, when I was established in it, we had a, a little a thing, a, an alarm. So they didn't know whether we were out or not. There's a couple of things to pick up, and there's so many things to pick up on, actually. Um, but the first one that stands out is Duncan. 
Do you have any tales of Duncan at all in Duncan's adventures? Oh, Duncan, Duncan, Duncan got great when we had. Uh, he was a remarkable man, Duncan. He certainly but, was. Yes, he was. He was a, a straightforward man, but he got quite excited at at when we were get got call outs and uh, yes, but uh, he was a good. He was a good man. Yeah. Are there any yeah. standout memories you have of Duncan? Uh, the- well, I, I would say all he was so. He was so patient with us all, teaching us all our knots and the different things. And we, we as as time went by, we we all it was a Tuesday night. We had a, still a Tuesday night, our drill nights, and we used to go out every Tuesday, hail, rain or snow, and we would go up to the mission schlocks and pump work with the pumps, and we'll go down to the pier, my brain's pier, and work with pumps. And in the summertime, we used to put uh, ladders up Brown's land so that we were all experienced in ladder work. The main bulk of the, of the team were tradesmen or builders. So they were very good at ladders anyway. I was a pen pusher, <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Well, we used to get called out to heat fires, uh, lots, lots of them. There's not so many of them nowadays. <clears throat> I remember being called out to Penny Cross, I would say, and we were, we were taking up the right, there was a heat fire, uh, and it was over towards Karzik. So we all had to go over and up the top of the hill, and the, a chap who recently died, uh, Ronnie Campbell from Benesson. Yes. Uh, Ronnie was teasing us that the, the uh, adders were escaping the fire and they were going through, they were following the burns. And he, Ronnie used to pull the, he was pulling the adders out by the tail and throwing them at us. He, he was a, like a gamekeeper for the forestry, so he was, he knew all about adders and we were scared stiff about them. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. It's but, lovely to hear Ronnie mentioned. He was a lovely, lovely man. He was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah and he was a good badminton player as well. Yeah, yeah. And his wife also, his widow. Yeah. So um, are there other stories at all that uh, that you thought of and thought, oh gosh, I wish I'd said that. Is there anything that, is there anything that sticks out? Like, um, you know, uh, on uh, Victoria Street there, Seamus and his brother, any tales of them that stick out or any um, any of the older characters you remember? That, any old tales you remember from your childhood and you think, gosh, I must... Seamus and his, uh, Seamus and Archie. That was Taffy and Archie Sauce. That was their nicknames. And his father was called Duncan Bechty. And his mother was a Robertson, and she was from Penny Gale, or Ayrts down Penny Gale. Uh, yes, um, Duncan Bechty, I, I heard a story about him. He was in the First World War, and he, he, was, uh, he had a very hesitating voice. And he... he t- he was the situation was that he the, the captain or the skipper on the on the boat naval boat said McKinnis, I've got to go down out of the wheel out of the bridge just now 
you just cut, keep on that on that course. And when he came back up, he said to Duncan, McInnes, you're miles off course. No, sir, I can't be. I never touched the wheel. <laughs> oh, that's that was a shame. good, eh? Yeah. yeah. Well, we what... never touched the wheel, so no wonder he was off course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Seamus, Seamus, uh, he was a great, uh, he was actually a tailor to trade. And a surprise, surprise. But he did a lot of joiner work for me. He, he built my croft shed and lots of gates and whatnot, and they're as good as ever. And he used to go to Ardmore and near Glengorham, and if there was any timber, that you know, deck timber, that, that he would be carrying, he would carry them for miles down the road. I remember yeah. that so well. You'd be coming over the hill at night, and you, what the heck is that? <laughs> it was simple. Uh, yeah, and he used to leave it at that more road end, and he would come to me at a pickup, and he would ask me if, uh, laterally, he, he would ask if I would. Take it to home for him, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there were there was nothing off them, but they were thin as anything. But they were wiry and strong. Mm. He's still alive. He's in a, in a home in Benderloch. Yeah, remarkable, remarkable man. Mm. Man, yeah. And Archie, well, Archie was always in the motorbikes. He went in his younger days. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't keep well latterly. And there's a, a sister who stays in Cyprus, Gosh. and Anna, Annie, and she comes home from time to time. And so, yeah. Great. They're related to me. Are they? Oh. Yeah. My great, my grandfather and their grandfather were full cousins. Oh, lovely. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. that sense of, there's a, you've got a connection to the place that's, that goes back generations upon generations. It's uh, well, it's really absolutely, something. yeah, yeah. It's quite something. It goes back a long, long time, and um, well, it's going back to Glengorham as, as well. Aye. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, Valley. Well, more in time, Gasta. So. I look forward to hear my croaky voice. <laughs> You'll hear it on Christmas Day, I believe. Yes. <laughs> okay, Wally. Thank you very much. See you later. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, for good seeing Thank you so much, Ian, for your time. And thank you to Ishbel for your contributions to the episode and your help in coordinating us as well. And all the very best to Kirsty and Ross for the 29th. I'm sure it's bound to be a very special day indeed. A couple of things before you go and check to see if the sprouts are just right or overdone. We have podcast merch, your actual merchandise. What we do in the winter, 10 mugs. 
If you're interested in buying a mug, please follow the link at the bottom of the webpage. They cost £10 plus postage to the UK. It's a bit more for elsewhere in the world, but we can deliver them if you live in the north of Mull. Also, I've got a survey running to allow me to gauge how you engage with the podcast, which is really useful to allow me to build a picture of the listenership. If you've got two minutes spare, and if you're so inclined, I'd love to hear from you via our survey. You can find the link to the survey on the site too. Now, if you want to support the podcast, please feel free to click on the donate tab on whatwedointhewinter.com. But don't worry if you can't or don't want to. I'd much rather that you listened and went gallivanting with us than not. And on that note, thank you so much to our monthly supporters. I really appreciate it. A mug will be coming your way in the new year at some point soon. One last thing. If you could leave a star review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast, I'd be really grateful. It helps to spread the word about the project and makes these stories available to more and more listeners. And thank you to those of you that leave reviews in other countries. I can occasionally see them on websites and I really appreciate that. That's superb. Thank you. Thank you also to all of you who reach out and say hello. It always makes my day to hear from you. So, a very Merry Christmas to you and all the very best for 2021. Here's to, <laughs> here's to a much better year to come. Thanks for listening. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Nolikriel, agus plinavaurgut the charich. Moor and tang. Shenakatee.